Hello, folks, and welcome to episode nine of Music Nerds Unite. We've been away for a little bit. Uh, this is Matt with my buddy Scott, but Scott, we are back with uh, kind of a one-off, uh, a bridge, if you will. We've got um, the top 16 songs of the 1960s that we're going to do just a single round bracket, um, just one particular um, pool there. We're going to start it today and finish it today um, to name the best song of the 60s. Should be a pretty good one, Scott. I know we've been talking about possibly going into some other territory and uh, maybe we'll do some other song collages, song clashes um, in the future. But for right now, we're going to kick it off. Uh, we've got the seeds here. Uh, Day in the Life by the Beatles. Number one seed, not a surprise, uh, against number 16 seed, Mr. Tambourine Man, uh, the Birds performance of it. Yes, so how you doing, everybody? Uh, it's good to be back. Um, just some ground rules that we came up with was that uh, only one song per artist. So although I think in the life is, is not a surprise, it, it really could have been a number of other Beatles songs, really, or like Hey Jude, for example, mm -hmm. right? But, uh, you know, so that's that's one thing. And, and we picked songs that had a certain level of popularity. You know, you can't be the greatest song of the 60s if you're some underground song that's amazing, but only 10 people have ever heard of it, right? So we kind of, we, we kind of did that with our uh, band tournament to an extent as well. So uh, anyway, those ground rules out of the way. Uh, the Beatles versus the Birds. Mr. Tambourine Man is uh, a cover song, and obviously the original by Dylan is a classic in its own right. It's actually twice as long as the Birds' original, uh, which really pared it down. But I'll tell you, you hear those first 10 seconds of that Rickerbacher guitar, and to me, the Birds are a legends for those 10 seconds alone. And it's really not even the Birds, actually, if you think of it. it you know, I. I'll, not everybody knows, but only Roger McGuinn actually played on that song. Um, yeah. Most of the birds sang on it, and it was kind of controversial, too. You know, people kind of making them out to be like the monkeys, oh, you didn't play on your songs. But really, it was, it was just that first single, and I think it's a Kenny B-side. Uh, but you know what? They, they hired the best L.A. session pros to play on it. It sounds amazing. You had those classic birds harmonies and that Roger McGuinn nasal lead vocal, very Tom Petty-like, or mm -hmm. should I say Tom Petty was Roger, very Roger McGuinn-like. <laughs> McGuinn came first, and they struck up a friendship uh, later on, and uh, I think Petty produced even uh, one of his later albums. Yeah. Uh, but the Beatles are going to win. Uh, a Day in the Life is just, uh, I'm going to have a lot more to say about that going forward. We're, we're gonna, I'm going to keep it brief here because uh, we'll talk more about it. Uh, so the birds, Mr. Tamarine Man, to me is one of the all-time great cover songs. The original by by Dylan is a classic as well. But uh, the Beatles, uh, for reasons we'll get into more detail in, in a little bit, uh, definitely deserve to move on here. What do you think, man? Oh yeah, I'd agree. Uh, Day in the Life is um, probably the first Beatles song that I really, really gravitated towards. Um, but we can talk a little bit more about that in a few moments. Um, Mr. Tambourine Man, 
by the birds. Uh, Mr. Tom Petty would be the first one to admit that uh, he was copying or adhering or alluding to a very particular style that the birds were basically trailblazers on. Um, even uh, one of his last interviews was for uh, Jacob Dylan did a documentary on Netflix uh, about that sort of canyon scene and Petty's in it and gets very excited talking about that Rickenbacker sound and, uh, and the birds and, and that kind of California vibe. It's, uh, it's a nice moment. Um, I, I definitely recommend it if anybody's uh, got a spare minute. Well, let's move to the bottom portion. Let me just add one thing. The, yeah. uh, now obviously, McGuinn's vocal itself is kind of built based upon Bob Dylan with that nasal voice. Of course. And there's the kind of famous uh, quote when, uh, when Roger McGuinn heard American Girl, Tom Petty's first big song, in my opinion, his greatest song, Roger McGuinn quipped, uh, when did I write that? <laughs> <laughs> Just an aside there. Yeah. So this is going to be a tough one. Uh, number two, like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan, the aforementioned. Squaring off against number 15, The Weight by the band. And um, I don't know, Scott, what do, you, what do you think right off the bat about this? It's that Dylan band connection. They can't escape each other, huh? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Bob Dylan wins for, for reasons I'll get into more detail later. I'll talk more about the weight. I think it's uh, just one of those classic songs. Even recently, during the whole, you know, when everybody was quarantined, there was a big Facebook video. I don't know if you saw that with, with all these different musicians going back and forth singing the weight. It was really cool. Oh, nice. Really powerful. So that shows, shows how enduring this song has been and it's one of those songs that's been much covered uh they did a great version of, of that with the staple singers at the last waltz if you oh yeah right and uh lee von helm does such a great job with the vocals on that you know and uh that that kind of that deadened drum sound that he had too was just i always thought he was such a great uh understated drummer as well and uh Great story song, Robbie Robertson, really kind of known for that. And, oh, yes. You know, I, I feel that that was him at his very best. Uh, and, but Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone deserves to win just because of, of how trailblazing it was. It broke down so many barriers. It's such a legendary song. And uh, again, it's going to need uh, me plugging its virtues uh with, uh, you know, maybe so, some even more tougher matchups coming up. So uh, we'll hold off on that. And uh, props to the band. It's probably their signature song. You know, it's prominently featured in the movie Easy Rider. Uh, was kind of famous for that as well, from what I recall. And uh, legendary song, for sure. And, uh, you know, definitely deserves to be here. But uh, got to go with Bob. Yeah. Yep, uh, I think that makes sense. Um, the Weight's one of my favorite songs. Band's one of my favorite bands. Um, but just like the the kind of the mythical, mystical sort of the lyrics that are characters, you kind of feel like something's familiar with it. Like a dude named Crazy Chester, you know, there's a dog. I think there's multiple dogs in the song. 
Yeah, great characters, right? <laughs> uh, so it's just got this sort of down and out kind of vibe. I mean, the world doesn't need me to tell it uh, what the song sounds like, but just that beginning where it's it, it's just that that like double bass kick. Maybe it's Tom. I don't know, but like into like the actual groove of it. It's, yeah. it's one of my favorite beginnings to a song, uh, for sure. Simple, but so effective, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, like a Rolling Stones, just, yeah, it ain't getting knocked off in the first round. That's all. We can talk, <laughs> we can talk a little more yeah. about it. Um, and it's just a testament to that mythical, that mystery, that's Dylan, right? So it's not necessarily, right? Robbie Robertson pulled it out himself but i don't think that the band writes lyrics like that i don't think that they kind of explore things like that if not for having spent some time with a weird tiny man named robert zimmerman you know um so i mean who knows but um bob dylan will advance um that's one of the things about the band too like the song is, what, 1969, 68, I don't remember. And it, it sounds like it could have been written in 1940. You know, yep. it's got that timeless sound, and, and it's going to always be a timeless song. So yep. definitely a great song. So that puts Bob Dylan over. And that brings us to our number three seed, Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones against the number 14 seed white rabbit by jefferson airplane two more great songs uh very powerful songs uh very intense songs yeah um, white rabbit to me is you know the jefferson airplane just they embody that whole summer of love right that psychedelic uh, 1967 in this surrealistic pillow album and the two iconic songs, especially sung by Grace Slick, Somebody to Love and White Rabbit, we, we could have picked either one. I, I just think White Rabbit is just a little bit greater. Uh, it's got those crazy Alice in Wonderland lyrics that were clearly written under the influence. Just a powerhouse lead vocal performance from Grace Slick. Uh, um, and there's a, I believe on YouTube, there's an unaccompanied uh, video of it with just her vocals. Whoa. You gotta check that out because it's amazing how great she sounds. Uh, but the rest of the band sounds great too. Then I love the drumming on that song with the militant drums. Uh, yes. It builds to that, that feed your head finale, which I used to always think was feed your hair, you know, H A R E, white rabbit, yeah. right? <laughs> Either way, it works. <laughs> I, mean, I almost like it better my old way. Uh, just a fantastic song. And uh, what's interesting is Grace Slick is, is kind of known as like as a Jefferson Airplane lead singer, but she, she often didn't sing lead. You know, it was often Marty Ballin or yep. Paul Campbell. But she when she did sing lead, she made them count. And she was always fabulous on the, the backing vocals, even when she didn't sing lead. She was really uh, a force of nature, uh, you know, like a Janis Joplin or, or someone like that. Definitely a great, great singer. But if you're talking about lead, great female lead vocals, I don't think anyone could top what Mary Clayton did in Gimme Shelter. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that is the single greatest guest vocal in rock history. 
maybe the greatest female lead vocal in rock history. And, and Mick is great on that song too, but he's so overshadowed by what she did. And then there is a documentary, uh, 20 Feet from Stardom. I don't know if you've seen it. It's on Netflix. It's very yep. good. And there's a section about her in that. She sang on some other things. Like she sang the backing vocals on Sweet Home Alabama, for example. Yeah. But they show her, again, unaccompanied, just her vocals. And they show Mick listening to it. And you could see just how blown away he was by it. And it was almost like a gift, like thank you. Yeah. You know? And many regard it as the Stones' greatest song, and uh, I do. Uh, you know, it certainly had some stiff competition from, you know, the likes of, you know, Sympathy from the de- for the Devil, and uh, You Can't Always Get you What You Want, and Paint It Black, and, you know, Satisfaction's obviously their most famous song. But uh, I think if you had a poll, what's the greatest Rolling Stones song? I think uh, Gimme Shelter would probably win. Uh, and uh, as a result, uh, it definitely... Uh, it deserves to move on, even though White Rabbit is a fantastic song in its own right. I mean, there are two parts of the 60s on this coin right here. Um, but even the White Rabbit for the airplane, I don't know that it... There's a menace to that song, to me. The you know, I mean, it, yeah, well, I, there's certainly a menace to Gimme Shelter. But White Rabbit, that feed your head and the, the, the way her voice can kind of become like otherworldly towards the end and like the crescendo, like that's not summer love. You know what I mean? It, it's from that year, you know, and, and I know it's there associated with that, but I don't think when I hear that song, I don't think of like Paisley. That's know, a great Paisley. point. You know, I, I recall a video with all these like psychedelic imagery and, and that part is part of what I always see in my head when I hear the song also so maybe that kind of influences oh me. That's yeah no, I, that's the thing like I think it's that Jefferson Airplane was certainly of the flower child whatever the hell you know I wasn't there you know I don't know who got to what street at what time but from what I've read and you know you, you can hear the sound it's 1967 but that's like when all the folks started moving there. You know what I mean? So maybe by that time it had already gotten a little more sinister, a little more commercial, you know, who knows? But, but and maybe that's a reflection like in that. Um, and I know that it's a couple years removed, but the Gimme Shelter, that is a sinister song. And that is a song that's kind of reflecting war is a shot away, you know, off of a record called Let It Bleed. You know, that's, there's some darkness there. And I think that that adds so much weight to that song, but it's also, I've certainly heard heard this before where that song being one of the sort of the end of the 60s. Damn, I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and Altamont had a lot to do with that as well, right? Their disastrous concert uh, that kind of was, you know, the the antithesis of Woodstock. Yes. So, yes. You, you, have, you have this free love, you have the summer of love, you have Jefferson Airplane, um, feed your head as a concept, you know, but then you have the dark side of that. So there's the LSD and the acid where everybody's in love with one another. And 
then you've got, well, what happens when the trip gets weird? What happens when your buddies are starting to hang out with bikers? You know, I, I don't know. Hells yeah, Angels stabbing people in the middle of a concert. Yeah. It's an amazing it, documentary, by the way. Have you ever seen that? The Gimme Shelter documentary? Yes, yes. Highly recommended. There's also, I can't recall the exact quote, but in, um, in Cable Guy, uh, when uh, Jim Carrey's character does somebody to love um, in karaoke, he says something about like the Hell's Angels had their turn that day, but tonight it's Monte. <laughs> it's it's quite good. It's always stuck in my head as excellent like one-off line that's about you know Gimme Shelter. It's about Altamont or something. <laughs> so. That's where my head goes when I think of the sixties. Uh, the stones go over. Um, Gimme shelter will advance, and that gets us to number four seed. A little less sinister here. Uh, a little earlier in the sixties, I believe, and uh, that's the Beach Boys. God only knows. Uh, against number thirteen, the Zombies. Time of the season. So these are two beautiful songs. Uh... Similar, I guess, in that respect, kind of have a summery vibe uh, mm -hmm. instead of a dark, you know, nighttime kind of vibe that the other ones had. Um, you know, I think the Beach Boys win because this is just the pinnacle of that Teenage Symphonies to God that we talked about in, in, the, in the band battles, you know, the greatest song on our, arguably the greatest album of all time, you know, and uh, it's kind of you know, been used, I think, in movies and TV shows, uh, you know, over the years, it kind of kept it alive, and especially that, that the ending harmonies, I mean, that is, if that doesn't get you, those goosebumps don't, don't, don't come, you know, unannounced when you're listening to that, you know, it's, uh, it just, it's just a beautiful song and an amazing uh, arrangement by Brian Wilson and, and shows what incredible singers the band was, uh, you know, beyond the genius of Brian Wilson, you know, without them, you know, maybe that genius wouldn't have been, you know, quite as bright as, as and brilliant as it was because they were the perfect vehicle for, for that to flower. Uh, and, uh, the zombies were a great band too. They were very short lived, unfortunately, but, uh, uh, Colin Blundstone had those breathy vocals, you know. Yeah. Duh, right. And, oh yeah, uh, that was that's a, that's great. Great stuff, and he had those moody keyboards from from Rod Argent, who went on to his own band. You know, "Hold Your Head Up" was the big song that mm -hmm. Argent had. Uh, Odyssey and Oracle is one of those classic, you know, forgotten albums that was later rediscovered by you know the internet and uh, critics and whatnot. You know, is What's interesting is Time of the Season was the number one hit, but by the time it came out, the band had already broken up because they were basically discouraged, I believe, by uh, whatever it was. I, I don't remember the reasons, but uh, it wasn't even going to be released. But uh, Al Cooper, who is kind of like a Forrest Gump of rock, who we'll talk about probably oh, yeah. again before this episode is over, uh, he was an A&R guy for the record label that released it. He was the champion of that album, and it may never have even been released uh, without his efforts. So uh, props to him. It's a fantastic song. It's uh, one of those songs you always kind of sing along to when it comes on, right? Uh, 
but it, I just don't think it quite has that majesty that, that God only knows has. Uh, you know, it's, it's, there are different levels of, of greatness and yep. to me, God only knows is, is just a, a notch above Tommy of Seeds, even though they're both. Yeah. God only knows it's, it's a classic. Um, Tommy of the Seeds is all right. You know, uh, I remember kind of even scratching my head back then about what's your name? Who's your daddy? Is he rich like me? Um, I didn't quite understand that uh, for a bit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, I, I think the Beach Boys just, they've got to advance here with this song. There, there's not really much uh, to add, and they're going to need some further championing um, when they head in. And that brings us to the number five seed, All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix performing against number 12, White Room by Cream. So these are two early hard rock songs, you know, oh, yes. uh, for their time for sure. Uh, the Jimi Hendrix Experience. So uh, just want to shout out to Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell, who uh, always get overshadowed by the man himself. Uh, I think Along the Watchtower may be the greatest cover song in, in rock history. I mean, we've already talked about Mr. Tambourine Man. That's that's on that that short list as well. But how do you top Along the Watchtower? I mean, he, he took a classic Bob Dylan song, and they're both Bob Dylan songs, which is kind of interesting also. Um, and it's a tambourine man and all along the watchtower which we've talked about how, how many people have covered Dylan over the years but he, he took you know a folk song and, and turned it into this hard rock song and, and, and his vocal on that is so great too and, and the riff right it's just so powerful and then you had that kind of liquidy soul there at the end it's just otherworldly fantastic stuff and uh, again it's kind of got that apocalyptic imagery and the sound to match it you know and uh, even Bob Dylan loved it and he felt like every time he played it in concert it was a tribute to Jimmy you know and uh, that tells you something right there yeah Cream White Room is one of the my one of the greatest songs of the 60s as well everyone talks about uh, Sunshine of Your Love and it's a classic song but to me White Room is the greatest Cream song easily uh, it's in a lot of movies. Goodfellas, I remember it was in. Uh, it's got those orchestrations, you know, and then the Jack Bruce with those falsetto vocals and the memorable lyrics. And, and then you have that slam bang finale with, with, with Ginger Baker just thundering along on the drums yep. and clapping and going nuts with the wah-wah guitar. I mean, just exciting, thrilling stuff. Incredible. So this is very tough call here. I think they're both two kind of similar songs in, in, in what they're trying to achieve. They both achieve it spectacularly, but I would have to give uh, the Jimi Hendrix experience uh, the slight nod for All Along the Watchtower. Um, if not for nothing else than the guitar solo, which many consider among the, the all-time greats. Uh, so Jimmy's got to go on. Yeah, I um, I think all along the Watchtower, the, the vocal delivery, um, never mind the music or, you know, just the, he made that song his own with his solo, the, the, the experience made that song their own, but he sung the shit out of it. 
Um, and wind began to howl, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it, and maybe that's some studio trickery, you know, I don't know how many takes they did or whatever, but it doesn't matter. Like, no, there's, there's... <laughs> well, he was kind of de facto producer as well with Eddie Kramer, so, I mean, yeah. it's still him doing it, you know? Yeah. That, like, that, yeah, he's singing with his whole whole soul in that one, I feel. Yeah, um, I agree. So that gets uh, Watchtower on and um, sets up an interesting second round matchup against the Beach Boys, God only knows. But, uh, before we get to that, we're going to number six seed, Simon and Garfunkel with Sound of Silence uh, against number 11 seed, The Kinks with Waterloo Sunset. And this is a little like the Beach Boys and Zombies mashup. Two beautiful songs. Yeah. Again, I think you can, you know, they're both fabulous songs. Uh, I think the Sound of Silence wins uh, from my American perspective because it was just easily the bigger song on these shores. It had that unforgettable uh, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. It, you know, great opening lyric, uh, had those harmonies and the, the guitar, the electric guitar, with uh, which I kind of talked about in the prior episode, was, uh, you know, added by the producer after the fact. And it, but it all just works so spectacularly. And, uh, you know, it kind of reminds you of The Graduate and that whole, uh, you know, how big that movie was and what a big part Simon and Garfunkel were in that movie. Uh, the Waterloo Sunset is, uh, is one of the best, uh, I've heard it called one of the most beautiful songs in the English language, and it really is. It, it shows Ray Davies at his absolute best with his lyrics and just painting this, uh, this you know, picture of these doom romantics, and, uh, and just he sings the hell out of it also. He's, he's, he's kind of underrated as a singer. Uh, so just a, a, an amazing song as well. It's just... Uh, to me, the sound of silence is, is a bit more impactful uh, to my American ears, and and I just slightly prefer it. So, uh, again, two great songs, but uh, Simon and Garfunkel moves on. Yeah, um, I think it has to. Um, came out '67. Again, that's that. That's the summer of love and all that. Uh, they were in New York, right? Not. I think it was '66, actually. '66. Okay. Maybe the original was in 66. I'd have to look it up. I think they recorded it early on. And it didn't, yeah, yeah like, you yeah. know, we talked a bit about that. So, but um, still soundtracking a very specific thing. But I think the Kinks were soundtracking that just on the other side of the, uh, the ocean. Um, I tell you which one I put on more often these days, and it ain't Simon and Garfunkel. Um, I just love the Kinks, and uh, they've got a lot of songs too. And you know, that album's great. Something else by the Kinks. Yep, and it's just you don't think it's as heavy or as deep because I don't know. I think the Kinks there's an intelligence to their kind of workmanlike vibe. Like they they were very prolific. They they put out a lot of stuff, but it's still just great pop music and intelligent enough, I think. Um, whereas Sound of Silence, it's poetry, it's beautiful, but it's trying to be. I don't know. I, that, that's 
That's I can see where you go with that. With Simon, I think had, there was a pretentiousness to him, maybe a little bit, but uh, certainly was such a—he was a great songwriter. And oh yeah, there's nothing. Voice, you know, those vocals. Man, when they blended together, they were just made to sing together. Those two. Mm -hmm. Definitely advances in this uh, conversation here, um, and not a knock on it by any means. It's just like we've talked about this—the kinks. And I don't know the specifics, but the kinks seem to me to be one of the purer rock acts, just because it doesn't seem like they were trying to be putting on an air of anything. And that could just purely be how I've listened to the stuff, you know. I think certainly that era is true of, for sure. Yeah. But then we uh, will advance to Oh, well, that's, that sets up another second round where the Sound of Silence will be squaring off against uh, Gimme Shelter. Holy smokes. Number seven seed against number 10. Uh, we've got two heavy, heavy hitters here. That seems to be the theme. We got two kind of chill and then two heavy. And then we're, we're into the heavy now. Number seven, Led Zeppelin, Whole lot of Love against number 10, The Who. My generation. Yeah, two uh, fairly hard rock efforts, you could call them. I think this is a tough one because they're, they're two of the greatest songs from two of the greatest bands. Uh, I think My Generation wins for a few reasons. One, it came first, so it gets points for being that early hard rock song more so in terms of influence. It has, to me, the most famous lyric in rock history, Hope I Die Before I Get Old. You just can't get it. And, uh, you know, it's just a great lyric, even though I think Townsend kind of regretted it in his later years. You have that bass solo by John Entwistle, which may be the most famous bass solo in, in rock history, which is fantastic. And then you have that meltdown at the end with Moon Going Nuts in the field. Yep. And uh, just a great, great song. Uh, that's just a whole lot of love. With you know, a whole lot of love, you have that killer riff. You know, it's just so heavy, so memorable. Yeah. And and you have that midsection with the studio experimentation. It just sounds flying at you from all over the place and plant and living and just going nuts. And then you know that way down inside, you need love. Primal <laughs> and the bottom just you know, doing his thing and John Paul Jones throughout and, and Plant is just, you know, electric throughout. You, you do have some borrowed lyrics there, which we, we kind of touched upon yep. in episodes. So, you know, all things being semi-equal, we're going to further penalize them for that. So although they're both too old, and, and how do I not mention the guitar solo? They pull out a lot of the dun, 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 you know, that, yep. that section, right? With Bond and him going back and forth, just spectacular uh, a great song amazing song but uh i think there's a, a few things that you know my generation has in terms of impact and influence that that make it the more important song in the grand scheme of things and uh, they're both fantastic songs so you know given how close they are i think that uh, gives it a slight edge yeah yeah i think um my generation the who will advance here um, both of them had a couple other songs that could have get thrown into this, but I think these are represented 
of especially what they were like, what they were in the 60s. Yeah, you know, Zap really only had the first two albums in the 60s, so yep. yeah, small pool. Yeah. So really that, or Dazed and Confused, probably. True. And then that gets us to, well, the, the who will be facing off against uh, Bob Dylan in the next round. Um, but the first round's final matchup, number eight seed, The Animals, featuring Eric Burden, House of the Rising Sun, against the number nine seed, Come On Baby, Light My Fire, The Doors. The Doors, yeah, these are like the two keyboard, uh, the battle of the keyboards. Yes, yes. Organ, or whatever you want to call it. The Animals, those, those Alan Price on the keyboards, or organ was, was so powerful, and and to me, it had one of the all-time great vocals by Eric Burden. It was so powerful for 1965. I mean, nobody was was doing songs of that power. You know, it was so intense and it had a great lyric, right? Uh, you know, it's an old traditional folk song, but then yep. we had the Bob Dylan connection again because he recorded on his first album, and and I think that was where they uh, they got that from. Uh, so uh, again, so essentially, we're talking about the third Bob Dylan cover, really, even though he didn't write it in this case. Yeah. So, so fantastic song, uh, you know, really kind of ahead of its time. The Doors Light My Fire is, uh, you know, probably their signature song, although they have other contenders as well. It has that memorable keyboard intro, you know, and uh, the John Densmore with the samba beat. And then you had that extended instrumental section where, you know, Robbie Krieger and, and they're all jamming out, but it's really the guitar, especially that you notice. And uh, Robbie Krieger is actually the one who wrote this song, although Morrison, is, you know, overshadows them all so much. Krieger wrote the song and the song is largely instrumental, their biggest song, you know. But when Morrison does come in, it's such a commanding performance, you know, the come on baby light my fire, I mean, and the way it builds to the end, you know, and uh, famously, you know, it's kind of a risque song and, and Ed Sullivan, you know, wanted, when they were on the Ed Sullivan show, he wanted them to change the lyrics and they, they said they would and of course they didn't because Marson was kind of that kind of guy and, uh, and he was furious and he banned them from the show and, uh, which of course just made them more popular, you know, and uh, and it was you know the single, which was the number one hit, was actually considerably edited down. It didn't have that long jam section. Whenever mm. I heard that on the radio, it was always such a, a, you know, it would always annoy me. Like, why you you know play the full version? It's so much better, you know. Uh, so, "Light My Fire" is a classic, classic song. But you know, it was uh, "House of the Rising Sun" was there first. It, it was ahead of its time, like I said, in terms of pure power and, and all-time great performances on organ from uh, from Alan Price and, and Eric Burden with, with the with the vocals. So ever so slightly, I'm going to go with the animals here. And I'm going to agree um, with two thumbs up. Uh, Burden's vocal, it, it, it gets you, you know, and that, that separates, like, not to knock um, the doors, not to knock Jim, the Lizard King, Morrison, you know, I mean, he obviously was charismatic and performative in his own right. 
but I don't think he adopts that voice and adopts that sound without having somebody like Eric Burden um, come before him. I, I don't know, you know, and, and the, everything's connected and there are little wires to everything, but I, um, I appreciate that like Bob Dylan is just throughout this bracket, you know, even when he's not writing the song, he's the fact that he was playing the song at around the same time can be related but was um and i could be misremembering this i'm gonna you know i'm the color i guess scott you are the cold hard facts in this uh relationship but um dave von ronk dave van ronk was he i think he was with the Greenwich Village scene. Yeah, I think he was one of the first people that played this out a lot. And I think that's where Dylan got it. Or I've heard talk about it. I saw that, but it would not surprise me because I know he was very influential on Dylan. Yeah. Um, but I, regardless, it was making those folk round, uh, the circle and all that. And, uh, and In My Time of Dying was another one uh, that Dylan covered on that first album that was later famously done by Led Zeppelin, although mm -hmm. a far more expansive, different version, of course. Yeah. But yeah, the animals are going to advance, and uh, that's going to set up an interesting second round, which is now going to begin. The Beatles' Day in the Life against the animals. House of the Rising Sun. Well, we just talked a lot about the animals. Yeah. Now we're trying to talk more about the Beatles. And, uh, you know, this was the closing track on what was, you know, the album of that era, in, in, at least at that time. I think reappraisal is maybe, you know, it's not seen as the number one album of all time like it was back then, Sgt. Pepper's, but it's still a, an all-time classic album. And maybe that is, you know, I think a podcast maybe we should do is greatest closing track. Mm. And yeah. this will be a major contender for that. And, uh, you know, perfect ending to a, to a classic album. And, uh, you know, it had the, it, it's a true Leonard Mc, Lennon-McCartney collaboration, first of all. Is, they had two different parts of the songs. They put them together. You could clearly tell which is, you know, Lennon's song. You know, I heard the news today, oh boy, right? Which yep. always young Americans and, uh, you know, Paul McCartney woke up, got out of bed, that whole yep. thing. But then you had those build-ups, those orchestral build-ups with George Martin, who really was the MVP of the song to a degree. And, and Ringo, I thought, was one of his greatest performances as well. Got to give some love to Ringo. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Lennon had that one great vocal uh, section you know, ah, yes, yes, the singing for you. You got a much better voice. Than oh, that. I can't sing. <laughs> you know, the, you know, the part I'm talking about, though. Somebody yeah. spoke and I went into it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then that final note is just so powerful. Yes, and that was just like, and then it just kind of lingers, and, and you just kind of left in awe of what you just heard. And, uh, and then you got that freaky. Cretan thing going on, right? After that, there's like the yeah, yeah, backwards or whatever, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's you know, it's it's the ultimate Beatles song for a reason, you know. 
like we said about Gimme Shelter, how it would win most Rolling Stones. Well, I suspect a day in the life would win, you know, most of the greatest, uh, you know, Beatles song of all time polls that, that you would see. And, and it, it, it brings together so many different things that they do so well. And, and it's so unique. You know, there's no other song like it. And it's so powerful. And, and it shows the two main guys at, at their best. Uh, it's, it's just a brilliant, uh, original, just amazing song. Yeah. Also, an odd little thinking game. Sergeant Pepper's very conceptual album, supposedly from a band called the Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club yeah. band led by what the one and only Billy Shears is that his name right yeah. <laughs> um but the Sgt. Pepper's intro starts the record and then the Sgt. Pepper's outro comes towards the end of the record yep and then there's a day in the life and I've read little tidbits about this before but if you think about it that's the only actual true not playing a role Beatles song on the record because everything else has this concept tied to it. Yeah. I just think that's interesting that it's like, it's a standalone piece, even in the midst of this very creative, interesting, figurative album that they created. Yeah, that's a good point. It is the song that stands on its own by far the most on the album. Yeah. where the rest of the songs maybe are part of an overall tapestry that's greater than the sum of its parts. That yeah. doesn't anything else. That's, you know. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's singles. I mean, everything the Beatles ever did, I'm sure, would have sold as a single. But I just feel like Day in the Life is something beyond Lucy in the Sky, Help from My Friends. Like, I just, it just doesn't, they don't compete. No, I agree. It's a different, it's another level above, for sure. Some good ones on there, though. Uh, yeah. That's got Rita Meter Made, right? Rita, yeah. Um, getting Better. Yep. Yeah, good. Mr. Kite. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> when I'm 64. Yep. Uh, a good one. Um, and the Beastie Boys, the Beastie Boys sampled that uh, on Paul's Boutique. They sampled the the Sergeant Pepper outro, I think. Good. Um, so only one of those songs got sampled by the Beastie Boys, so I guess the Beatles are going to be the ones to go over. <laughs> if you talk about the 60s, uh, what's representative of it, both of these tracks could be argued for, I believe. But, you know, the Beatles are the Beatles and you can't really have a, a third round of a 60s song tournament without a day in life. I think this has a level of invention that as great as the House of the Rising Sun has it's not there. No. no. Um, and that's going to get us down to the number two seed Bob Dylan against the number 10 seed The Who. Dylan, like a Rolling Stone, the Who, my generation. So we already talked a lot about my generation and, and how great it is and how influential and groundbreaking it was, but 
talk about influential and groundbreaking and, and like a Rolling Stone is another level entirely. Just, you know, like we've talked about the lyrics, you know, it's just, first of all, it was a six minute song, which was the number one hit. <laughs> You know, singles were two, three minutes back then. Three minutes was considered long. And this broke all the rules. And it was very unconventional. You know, just the lyrics kept coming at you and they were so brilliant. And, and, and you know, just one after another, bam, bam, bam. And then you had the Al Cooper with the brilliant keyboards. And there's the famous story how he wasn't even supposed to, we talked about him before. That was the guy, the A&R guy who, who rescued the zombies from from you know that album from obscurity? Here he comes again. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't even supposed to play on the session. He kind of crashed it, played that memorable keyboard part on an organ he'd never even played before, and uh, you know knocked it out of the park. And you know he had brilliant blues guitarist Mike Bloomfield of the uh, Butterfield uh, Paul Butterfield Blues Band, who also contributed greatly to the track. And, that's just Bob Dylan is an absolute prime. And, and I always think of that live version too, with the band in 1965 with the Judas and play it loud. Hey, fucking loud. <laughs> so powerful and overwhelming. And uh, so there was a lot of, you know, groundbreaking stuff there. You know, the Beatles heard that and it just totally, it changed the game, you know? And uh, just the fact that it was, a, you know, this, is such an ambitious song that was had all these lyrics in it and still got on the radio and was a number one hit and, and influenced so many different people and, and it was such a great song too i mean how does it feel you know catchy as well you know you could not sing along to it you know you, you got to know the lyrics and uh you know just an amazing song so even though my generation is is great in its own way again we talk about different levels of greatness and to me uh like a rolling stone is uh, is definitely the top level, uh, you know, in the 60s, you know, of, of these kind of songs. So uh, it's definitely going to move on, and uh, it's going to be a tough out. Yeah, like a Rolling Stone. Plenty of fucking loud. That's the, I mean, just all of that. And how old was he? What, what 64, 65? Five, so he's in his mid-20s. So he's 20 years old, and, I mean, to me, this reads like, you know, some 88-year-old that's seen it all, like, looking back, or, you know, I don't know. And, or maybe that's the, maybe that's the thing, that at 25, he thought he saw it all, and he was just a wise-ass. But either way, it, it, it was a, that go to him now, he calls it, you can't refuse. I, I mean, it, you, got it's, nothing, you got nothing to lose. I mean, so, yeah, but so scathing. Like, uh, like there's so much time you dress up fine through the bums of prom, through uh, the bums of dime in your prime. I can't even do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fast, you know. But then the didn't you, like, the like, it's yeah, it, it's he's sneering at them, but it's but he's. See, I'm sneering at them, but I see it as a sneering at himself. And I see it also as like he's sneering at everyone. You, you know, like I don't know. Um I it, it's a it's interesting to watch uh Don't Look Back, you know, the one where he's like making fun of Donovan and, and uh yeah. yeah. <laughs> it kind of increases the whole legendary aspect of it. 
movie. He's still fighting and scathing, and, and he just didn't care, you know? Yeah. And he's willing to go there and, and not be this cookie-cutter, likable guy, you know? It's all about just saying his version of the truth. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. Um, I mean, I, for one, hope I get old before I die, Scott. But I do enjoy the My Generation song <laughs> and the lyric. Absolutely. I hope I die before I get old. I'd like to be old. By a young guy. Yeah. I've been an old man for a long time. I, I finally need my age to catch up with me. <laughs> so uh, let's move on to, we've got, Number three, Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones against number six, Simon and Garfunkel, Sound of Silence. I think we already talked a lot about the, both these songs. Yeah. I think just as a certain power to Gimme Shelter, that, that, that's next level. And, yep. uh, you know, throw in Mary Clayton's vocal performance for the ages. And... Yep. Uh, you know, cool guitar solo by Keith in there as well. And one who's not known for his guitar solos, but he has a nice little one there. And that blaring guitar. And, and Nick on the harp as well. Um, yeah, it's hard to beat that song, you know. It's, like you said, it's, it's kind of, it embodies that, that end of the 60s kind of ap apocalyptic uh, sound. And, and it, it retains its power all these years later. Yeah. I'm very glad that the uh, Rolling Stones are getting vengeance for the kinks, their UK brethren here, um, over the American uh, Simon and Garfunkel out of silence. Gimme Shelter is, um, I just think it's a better song. It's better delivered. It's a fuller song. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, Sound of Silence is good, but we did talk a little bit in the first round about how it could be pretentious, it could be artier than now, and um, I don't think you get that from the Stones. Uh, I, you never really got that from the Stones, but um, Gimme Shelter, that's an all-timer for me, and performance-wise, it, it's just great. Yeah. Um, that gets us to God Only Knows from the Beach Boys, number four seed against number five seed, Jimi Hendrix, all along the Watchtower. This is one of those light and, sh light and shade kind of matchups, right? Uh, yeah, just an absolutely gorgeous song with amazing harmonies and incredible arrangement. God Only Knows. Uh, very heartfelt as well, you know, the, with the lyrics, and it kind of touches, it's a very touching song. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go with the Beach Boys, even though Dylan, I mean, even though well, I said Dylan, I, you know, it's his song, but uh, Hendrix, you know, is arguably his definitive performance, I would think certainly as a singer, also maybe as a guitar player, just he just made that song his own. Yep. Fantastic song. Again, you know, you have to split hairs when you're talking about songs of this magnitude. And uh, I think the Beach Boys, uh, you know, when you hear that coda and those vocal harmonies, how can you not pick the Beach Boys? Yeah, I know. I think I think a case can be made for either. I, I think in this scenario, 
like we've been saying, we've been saying it a couple of times that like they made it their own um, to be related to like, there's a lot of covers on here. And I think maybe God only knows because it was created by the Beach Boys. I think that gives it just like the slight, slight edge. Um, if you if you value that, you know, like you could give that songwriting credit a certain credence um, and that might outweigh the making of its own or, or just the sheer performance or just in a vacuum, this song. Um, but Yasha wrote the lyrics to it, so. It yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, that's true, but it was still... <laughs> so God Only Knows by the Beach Boys will advance and that sets up our semifinals semifinals being the Beatles Day in the Life against the Beach Boys God Only so we got the top four seeds huh yeah yeah and then down on the, the bottom bracket is um Gimme Shelter against Bob Dylan, like a Rolling Stone. So this is, again, the Beach Boys and the Beatles were kind of always in competition. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, and the Beatles usually would win that competition, and they're going to win it this time as well. Uh, again, we're talking about splitting hairs because there's so many, so, so many amazing things about both of these songs, but... I just think, you know, the, the, again, the level of invention of the day in the life and just the, those, you know, the orchestrations, that last note, the vocals, the fact that it's a joint Lennon-McCartney composition, even Ringo, uh, you know, I got to go with the Beatles. Uh, although, you know, God only knows, is, is certainly one of the greatest songs ever. And, uh, you know, there's not many songs that would beat it, but A Day in the Life is one of those few songs, I believe, that, that does deserve to beat it. So the Beatles move on. Yeah, I, I think I agree there. Um, the Day in the Life is in the finals. It, 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 it's got to be um, just just that note alone, that, that final note still rings. Um, God only knows. And I think we, we got into this the last time, like, I do think there's an added level of maturity to the Beach Boys. Uh, not the Beach Boys, sorry. There's an added level of maturity to the Beatles. Um, whereas the Beach Boys, they were teenage symphonies to God, but they were still teenage. Yeah. And the Beatles were, I don't know. I, I, I get a more of a sense of an everyday person, grown-up's life um, from a Beatles song as opposed to. And just an aside, there's some awesome, great YouTube videos of Brian Wilson in the studio kind of piecing together God Only Knows in different sections, and it's really fascinating, and it really shows how, what a genius the guy was, and how he heard these sounds in his head, and he was able to articulate what he was looking for to these talented session musicians and, and his own, you know, uh, Beach Boys with the vocals, how, how, it, how he put it all together, so uh, yeah. definitely uh, checking out. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Interesting. So day in the life goes over, but it really could be anybody, um, depending on how you uh, want to slice it. 
I go for that just added. Gravitas. Yeah, yeah. Good word. And that brings us to, I mean, you don't get more gravitas than uh, Mr. Like Rolling Stone, Bob Dylan, number two, against uh, the Rolling Stones, <laughs> Gimme Shelter. Um, they, three. you know, like a Rolling Stone, right? So just the fact that uh, I was going to say they named themselves after the song, but they didn't. So uh, <laughs> well, they should have, though. They, they were already named. Uh, but, uh, Again, this is, you know, these top four songs are all so close, right? They're all such great, great songs. Uh, again, I think that Dylan, again, just with the more groundbreaking uh, aspect of it, and, you, you know, you go through each verse, and there's just a brilliant line, on, like, anywhere you look, you know? And, uh, and his vocal is great on it, too. Like I said, how he, he kind of spits it out and... Uh, you know, and then you have the keyboards and the guitar, and it, you know it's raw, but it's rock and roll. You know, this is Bob Dylan, the folk singer. This is this is Bob rocking out and, and very effectively. And although you know, Kimmy Shelter, we we've extolled its virtues and how you know brilliant it was. Apocalyptic ending in the '60s. Mary Clayton's vocal, even Mick, and it it, it is all of those things. So it's it's a tough call. But I think at the end of the day, like a Rolling Stone, the fact that it, you know, it, it was more groundbreaking with just the fact that it got on the radio at the time, you know, this six minute song with this breathless rush of words and these words were, were so incredible and poetic and uh, just next level that I think that uh, like a Rolling Stone ever so slightly uh, deserves to. Yeah, I'd agree. He just, yeah, he, he really struck a nerve. So did the Stones, but there's a singularity to that song. It's just, it threads the perfect needle, I think. <laughs> like, like from purpose to, to getting that feeling across, uh, very good. It's We're in rare air. Maybe by 1969, you couldn't be as influential as what happened in 65. Yeah, that's true. That's you true. Mean, you know, you couldn't change the game quite to that extent. But the thing is, in 65, Dylan writes that, and the end of the 60s, you could put on some documentary about the 60s sputtering out, and you could put on, at the end, closing credits, like a Rolling Stone, and it's going to feel like it makes sense because it's like this dejected sort of, you know, like, yeah, I like so that. Yep, it, yep. it gives it more of like a timeless thing, whereas, yeah, Gimme Shelter would fit very well at the end of that documentary, too, for sure. Um, but uh, the fact that Dylan was written before a lot of the, the crap out of it and the sputtering of it, um, I, think, I think that gives it the chance. And now we've got, you know, two sides of a different ocean, of the same ocean. Um, Day in the Life by the Beatles, Like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan. And these were our top two uh, matchups for the bands in the I mean, we did our band tournament in, in the 60s. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of a reprise. The only difference is we got a bit of an upset this time because Bob Dylan and Like a Rolling Stone are going to take the title. Uh, <laughs> 
is it pains me because I love A Day in the Life and do think it is the greatest Beatles song and for all the reasons we mentioned. But, you know, without Like a Rolling Stone, does a lot of that later Beatles stuff even happen, right? I mean, that was, we talk about how influential Bob Dylan was on the Beatles. And, and I think that song in particular was like the rallying cry of this is, this is what's next. This is next gen. This is what we're mm. all should be shooting for. Yeah. And, uh, and it's still a thrilling song. You, you put it on, you see it in soundtracks and movies and, and it still sounds great. You know, you know, Bob wasn't too fussy about the production particulars and it has that raw vibe. You know, and you, you tell it was guys just recording live in a room. They got what they got and it, it was brilliant and they kept it and it was a, a moment in time and it, and it, I don't think he ever topped it. I don't know if anyone's ever topped it. And, uh, you know, it's as great as a day in the life is and we're talking a narrow victory here. I, I think uh, Like a Rolling Stone uh, deserves to win. Yeah, I, I can't, um, I can't argue that. I might be able to formulate a little bit of a leg on maybe he did top it, but maybe not in the 60s. Um, but as far as the public embrace of it, combined with like a, a creative peak or, or a sort of a new period of both himself and, you know, what he was bringing up around him, um, definitely, definitely, arguably the greatest Bob Dylan song. And it might be inarguably, depending. What would you say uh, with, what do you have in mind in terms of uh, its com competition? Well, I mean, they would all be less from a critical, it would, it would be less from a public standpoint. Like I think- Less from an impact standpoint, but- Yeah, you know, yeah. I like I, I think, I think Shelter from the Storm. Um, I think uh, even, uh, Mississippi from a couple, not a couple, but almost 20 years ago at this point, right? Yeah, uh, 2002. Yeah. Um, that's one of my, but that's... 2001, so, actually, I'm sorry. What's that? 2001. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's more personal, you know, but then, I, I mean... Although, actually, he had written it before then, if I recall correctly. Even Cheryl Crow mm -hmm. recorded it before he did, believe oh. me. Yeah, so it was an you know it was it was actually written before that. But yeah, it's a great late period song. I don't think he had the voice at that point. To sure. Nineteen sixty-five, Bob Dylan. Yeah, um, and then I mean, I I think Subterranean too. Like like there's there's a That's certain the rap song. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what's that? That's the first rap song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, with the memorable video, of course, with the Yeah. Is that Penny Baker? Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's got this the sign. The same movie you referenced earlier, Don't Look Back. Don't look back, yep. Yeah. And I kinda like it more as a dead cover but i'm a weird guy uh queen jane approximately uh it's one of my favorite dylan songs yeah from the same album as like a rolling stone so one of his yes. greatest albums oh yeah it's like yeah very underrated song 
just a great song. I love the harmonica, the keyboards. It's just a great song. So yeah, that's that's Dylan though. I mean, he had these these gems that you you never hear on the radio. So you know, if you're you just know Dylan from the big songs. Definitely uh, a deeper dive is in order. Oh yeah, yeah. That um, there are errors, but not many. You know, um, even his crap stuff might be somewhat interesting on like one listen you know well you have like every grain of sand for example on shot of love one of his yes. to me that's one of his greatest songs ever you know, on an album that you know in general is not highly regarded so sad-eyed lady in the lowlands tangled up in blue blood, whole blood on the tracks album anyway we i think we have to have a separate dylan episode i do i do i do <laughs> I will offer one uh, Visions of Johanna. That would that would be another classic album for sure. Um, but yeah, I think I think it might. I think we could do a little bit of a Dylan riff at some point. Um, speaking of at some point though, um, Bob Dylan, like a Rolling Stone, is victorious in this '60s song bracket. But we play it loud. <laughs> Play it loud. <laughs> Trying to get me to swear again. Yeah. <laughs> so it usually take too much. So yeah, I like the be- the intro like before that. He's like, I don't believe you. <laughs> You're a liar. <laughs> oh, Bob, I um, I look forward to that episode. Uh, we might we will get a little weird with Bob. That'd be good. But. Yeah. Besides that, uh, we've been hinting at speaking about an NIT tournament, sort of like a smaller format of what we just went through with 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, so I believe that next episode, we're going to have a little bit of an introduction on that and maybe get through the first round. Uh, we are still cementing some of our, uh, of our picks and seeds uh, that's going to be eight teams per bracket, um, and we will have four. So, you know, uh, pretty much half of what we went through uh, with the big, big stuff. And the NIT will be not necessarily, well, not particularly also RANs, just, you know, groups that didn't get to the top 16 of their decade. And we're toying with a, a little bit of a different format which we won't divulge yet because we haven't finalized it, but it's not going to be uh, by decade. It's going to be something a little bit different. Yeah. And on that note, we bid you farewell and good night. Thanks for tuning in to Music Nerds Unite. We'll talk to you all soon. Good night.